0: Hey there groupies, Mike here. Kaiju Quarantine is back, but uh, I'm a little bit scared. Me and the other podcasters are gonna need your help as we attempt to climb Trash Mountain and riff 10 of the most awesomely awful movies in the Kaiju genre, including Godzilla vs. Megalon, Gamera vs. Geron, and The Giant Claw. But what mystery film awaits us at the peak of Trash Mountain? Only that son of a minya Rob knows. And it all begins Friday, May 22nd at 7 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time and runs through Sunday, May 24th. Be prepared to spend an epic and hilarious Memorial Day weekend with your favorite giant monster podcasts on the official Kaiju Quarantine Discord server. Space is limited, so you want to go ahead and reserve your spot today. And remember, Kaiju Quarantine, come together right now over kaiju.
1: and welcome back to another episode of kaiju weekly the weekly podcast that introduces you to the wide world of giant monster movies i am your host travis and with me as always is my co-host michael (laughs) you doing all right uh this week michael
0: yeah i can't complain too much uh i just had to take care of some family stuff this week and uh yeah, got that all got that all taken care of over the week and and now I'm just uh trying to relax and have a great weekend and thought we'd uh record a little episode today. Uh hopefully uh, hopefully it turns out really good. I'm excited.
1: Yeah, yeah. Hopefully it turns out good. I think this one might be a shorter one, depending on how the last segment of uh this Week's episode goes, but uh, but as far as the main topic, I think we're gonna it's gonna be kind of a shorter one because uh uh it was it's shorter than I it, I expected it to be. <laughs> uh,
0: me too, me too. Going into it, uh, I, I'm not gonna give too much away, but going into it when we decided to do a comic, I thought I was gonna be sitting down for a couple of hours at least to uh, to read the material, but no, it, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't like that at all. Surprisingly.
1: Yeah, yeah, but before we get into that, let's jump into the news. We put the little beep, 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 beep in there. I started put I started putting sound effects in our episodes. Hopefully, it's not irritating people.
0: I was gonna say cue the BDD.
1: Yeah, <laughs> um, so we just have two bits of news I wanted to talk about this week because we're still all dealing with the uh, effects of the coronavirus, so news is kind of slow uh, right now. But the first bit of news, everyone in the world has probably already heard this, Who uh, everyone in the world who cares, but uh, we're going to cover it here because we it, the news came out after we recorded the episode last week. So we had to wait an entire week to talk about it. Um, But that's G-Fest. G-Fest has finally been canceled. Um, And uh, plans are moving forward for G-Fest in 2021, but they are canceled for this year. So, Michael, what are your thoughts on G-Fest getting canceled?
0: I have mixed feelings about G-Fest being canceled, honestly. Uh, as uh, this year would have been my very first year. I've probably have mentioned that a couple of times by now, Um, Mm -hmm. but this would have been my very first G Fest. Um, So I'm somewhat disappointed, uh, but I don't necessarily know what I'm missing out on. So I can't be extremely disappointed. I'm in this weird uh, place where it's like, it's terrible for the folks that don't get to go, who have been over the last several years. And, And from what I understand, G Fest is a, Just a really awesome, awesome place to go if you love Godzilla and Tokusatsu, Uh, you know. But I'm, I'm, I'm happy that they, I'm happy that uh, JD finally gave in and canceled G Fest because I just did not want the the trying to. I'm trying to be. I'm trying to word this in a way that's that's not gonna sound terrible but uh i don't want the overall fan reaction to jd not canceling soon enough to Mm -hmm. taint to taint g-fest and ruin it for the folks that still planning still plan on going in
1: 2021 yeah yeah that's the thing Uh, and the criticisms of their slow response to canceling it and uh, I mean the criticisms of some of the comments that JD has made on the GFest uh, Twitter account I think are legitimate but at the same right. time I also think that this situation that we're in is because of the coronavirus is very difficult for everyone for different mm-hmm. reasons some of us are suffering a lot more than others obviously and and right we all just need to chill out a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I think that, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to read too much, you know, I, I, cause I'm not, I'm, I'm only coming from this, from my opinion. So the, you know, what I'm about to say is coming from my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that, you know, the, you know, people have freaked out a little bit or have freaked out. And for good reason, it, you know, it's a serious, serious situation. Uh, but some of the anxiety, that a lot of folks are feeling because of the coronavirus um maybe cause them to lash out at j d and some of the g fest personnel uh or the g fest organization in an unproductive way uh yeah, so I'll just leave it at that
1: yeah, yeah, they definitely uh definitely lashing out the way that a lot of people have, I think was a little too much um I won't say it's an overreaction because mm-hmm. uh it, it, they're reacting this way because of the of like you said the the stress and the anxiety that everybody's under and also like we said I some of the comments that JD made on Twitter like I understand like the for legitimate reason it made people angry mm-hmm. uh because some of it was kind of tone deaf and some of it was kind of um really
0: irresponsible
1: just irresponsible yeah so um i'm going to go ahead and read some of the uh comments from the official statement i'm not going to read the whole thing if uh sure. anyone is interested in it you can check out uh the g fest uh twitter account or you can check out gfan.com uh that is where uh this is posted but um one of the comments says uh or one of the uh Paragraphs in the official statement says, over the years, G-Fest has become much like a wonderful, a wonderful family reunion where friends meet and relationships are created and strengthened. When so many people look forward to an event with such anticipation, canceling it is very sad. However, while there will likely seem to be a hole in our lives this summer, the sacrifice is small compared to that suffered by those who've lost their jobs, their businesses, and especially their loved ones in this dreadful circumstance. It would be good if we use part of this year's G-Fest weekend to reach out to our fellow fans, touch base, and if possible, offer comfort or assistance where needed. And this is, this is part of the, the situation that, That we're talking about on twitter how a lot of the comments that jd was making um seemed very uncaring and not really taking it seriously and then here in this statement it's showing you know maybe i don't know if he's the one who wrote this or if it was someone else on the team but they obviously put in here how yes g-fest and keeping g-fest going when they you know when they were pushing through trying to keep it going it seems kind of dumb now in the grand scheme of things knowing all the things that are going on in the world um
0: is it but in your opinion travis and because we're just two people we're giving an art we're giving our opinions and i know this is a very very touchy subject for a lot of people so i'm I'm just trying to kind of choose my words wisely Right. right do you think um do you think that it was um that he, do you think his original comments were, were done because he didn't care or was it just tone deaf optimism?
1: I, I mean, I don't think he, I don't, I don't know the man, so I don't know if he just doesn't care about people. I Mm -hmm. don't really know him, so I can't say that. But to me, it did seem like very tone deaf. But at the same time, when you have that many people who are coming at you saying, hey, you know, we're all scared. We're all this is dangerous. You're putting people's lives at risk by having this and and pushing forward on it. And then he kept doubling down on it. And that's Mm -hmm. the kind of stuff that makes me like, Hey, you know, this, like, again, I don't, I don't necessarily know him. I don't know whether he's a bad person. I don't necessarily think he's a bad person, but doubling down on Mm -hmm. trying to be proven right. Like, no, look, see here, this is what, yeah, there was, yeah,
0: yeah, there was, there was some obvious, there was obviously some of that too. I mean, just in some of the language that he used. Um, Yeah. Um, So, you know, there was tensions on both. There was tensions on all side because, you know, we've never experienced something at this level as, you know, as like a a literal pandemic where it's, you know, put a halt to a lot of the things that we love, uh, during, in our day-to-day life. And, you know, ultimately people's safety is more important than a conference, Mm um, but I, you know, I, I just, I understand where the organ, I understand, I try to understand where the G-Fest organization is coming from. And I, and I also absolutely empathize with the folks that are scared and who are worried because they're, it's still a very, very serious issue. And I just don't think that it was handled responsibly, uh, from the start. And if maybe mm-hmm. if it, if it had been handled more responsibly and if he'd have put that and if he'd have maybe made that that statement that you just read say a month ago, Mm -hmm. the backlash would have been nowhere near as toxic as it has been.
1: Yeah. And a, and a big, a big thing of, of why people are so angry even now after he's made this statement or, or the G Fest in general has made this statement is because why so long, why did it take so long to, do this when everyone was telling you that it needed you know other things in the area had been canceled other conventions had already been canceled and he was still uh pushing through saying no we're going to do it we're going to do it it just seems very baffling that he would push that hard now whether things were going on behind the scenes mm-hmm. uh that led him to wait till you know till basically the last minute to cancel it I don't know but I think on both sides, the side of the people who are legitimately and for good reason angry and on the side of JD and the people at G-Fest, everyone will benefit from just remembering that G-Fest is a wonderful, fun thing for fans. And it's a great you know, thing that we have, but there are bigger issues going on in the world. And we need to remember that and we need to just let bygones be bygones and focus on right now, the more important things. And also the fact that uh, G-Fest next year is um, already being planned.
0: Yep. And I plan on going. Uh, so, yeah, I, yeah. Took a, I, I, I like a lot of folks went ahead, took a chill pill and uh, yeah, I'm planning on going and showing up at 2021. So I'm I'm pretty excited about that.
1: Yeah, so um, uh, included in that statement says uh, this year's G-Fest will not be held, but it will be next year. Uh, The dates are already booked, July 9th through the 11th, 2021. Our new venue will be the Hyatt Regency O'Hare, which they moved um, from uh, uh, their previous location. They're going to be doing a different location, which they, uh, from what I've heard, they've been needing to do for a while, but they're finally uh, doing that. Uh, Rosemont's premier convention hotel, which offers about twice the meeting space and twice the guest rooms. uh, So it's the Hyatt Regency O'Hare Rosemont's premier convention hotel, which offers Mm -hmm. about twice the meeting space, twice the guest rooms compared to the Crown Plaza Chicago O'Hare. With another year's enthusiasm and anticipation building, the next G-Fest promises to be twice as great as it ever was so um yeah and and so just everyone, let's just you know take a chill pill, like you said and and uh and look forward to next year's one, um hopefully we're going to uh, we're working on and trying to organize a panel possibly for mm-hmm. uh Kaiju quarantine, all of the podcasters who are involved in kaiju quarantine, so yeah that's
0: gonna be it's gonna be awesome, oh if we can get it if we can pull that off, i mean that that will just be a really awesome way to cap off a year that we the year that we've had so far
1: oh yeah for sure and i i need to get with uh some of the other guys and try to organize that because i don't know anything about organizing a panel for g fest um but some of the other uh guys uh who are involved in kaiju quarantine do so i need to get with them and we need to work that out Um, all right, but yeah, so that's the G Fest news. Uh the uh, only other bit of news I have here is Ben Schafens, uh, who's at the big bad Ben 90 uh on Twitter. He is a um he writes for sci-fi japan, contributes to sci-fi japan. He's been writing and uh uh writing articles in the kaiju genre for a while um he just posted an interview with the uh director of nezra 64 which is the giant rat wow. movie that we've been talking about um so the director of uh, hiroto hiroto yokakawa hold on yoka-kawa, i think uh i'm sorry i'm very sorry hiroto yakakawa um he posted it on that sci-fi works. japan yeah <laughs> i am so sorry um and uh and in the interview i want, i will put a link to this interview in the description of this episode because i want everyone to go check it out uh it's on sci-fi japan and uh i so i'm not going to go into a lot of detail in it because i want you guys to read it it's a very well written article a very well done uh interview by ben um but have you had a chance to look at this uh michael
0: i will be honest with you i skimmed it uh i did not take it line by line i just kind of got to the the meat of it. And it, like you said, it is a really, it's an interesting article. Um, and if the, if Nezera, the, the new, the lost film Nezera, the upcoming remake of that film is Mm -hmm. something that you're interested in. Go read the article because it's, there's really, there is some really interesting information, uh, in that article. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, one of the things that, um, uh, Yokokawa-san, Said in the interview, is that uh, he said he was greatly influenced by Gamera. He said he knew that the origin of Gamera was a rat because the Nezra, uh when that mm-hmm. film shut down, they end up using a lot of the miniatures and stuff for Gamera. And he said, uh, There are many wonderful projects and works in the world that have been hidden in public. This Nezra 64 is drawn as a symbol of such works. I pay tribute to directors. Uh, to the original directors, I, I, I'm list, he listed out their names, but just the original filmmakers behind Gamera uh, in this movie. So he he talks about, you know, the influence of Gamera, of uh, how Gamera started because of this, but also how other giant monster movies have been lost. And this is just one of like the poster child for lost giant monster films. And mm-hmm. so how great it is that they are able to uh remake this film and make it. Um the only other thing I want to talk about from the article and from the interview is that uh the release date, the release date for Japan is in December of this year. Okay. All right. And one of the questions that Ben asked uh Yokawasan is will it get an American release? And, uh, he said that they do want to release it for American fans at some point, but that's, that's as much as he said.
0: So we'll probably get it a year later. Yeah. We'll get it at some point. (laughs) Probably whenever they've worked out the, whatever licensing deal they want to go through for a United States company and, uh, work out a work out a deal for a for a dubbed version. So, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and this is not a uh, a huge budget movie. This is actually a very low budget movie. Um, so this is going to be very interesting to see what they do with this. I, I, I'm I'm super interested in this film. So I'm looking forward to whenever we do eventually get it here in the states.
0: Yeah. I anticipate if, if we're able to get our hands on a copy or find it online somewhere, I'm sure you and I will sit down and watch it and review it. So I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, so yeah, that's it. That's, um, there, there's a lot of great information in there though. So I encourage everyone to check it out at sci-fi japan.com. I will put a link to it in the description uh Ben does quite a few articles for Sci-Fi Japan. He's written articles for other websites too and he is a mm-hmm. great great person to follow on Twitter if you want to keep up with a lot of um kaiju related material.
0: Yeah, I follow him. He uh he posts fairly regular regularly and uh he you know, he usually posts some pretty interesting stuff. So, yeah, go follow him. I think he's at 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 the big bad Ben 90. Yeah. Mhm.
1: Yep. That's his Twitter. Um, but yeah, so that's it for the news. So now we can jump into our main topic for this week. Short, so, and sweet. I like it. Yeah. So I asked a trivia question. Now I didn't get a chance to post it online like I normally do. So we didn't get any answers but this was a trivia question from last week what comic book company that currently holds the license to Mighty Morphin Power Rangers published the kaiju related comic Mech Cadet U and the answer to that of course is boom studios um so before we get and we we are talking about Mech Cadet U we're talking about the first volume so the first trade pa- paperback um which is a collection of the first 4 issues uh, I thought mm-hmm. it was the first six, but it's actually the first four. Um, mm-hmm. so before we get into this, I know you're not a huge, uh, comic book fan. Did you know anything about boom studios be- going into this? The, the company I that- had,
0: oh. I had heard of them. Um, but honestly, I did not know what properties they worked on.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Now for me as a comic book fan, um, I have actually grown to appreciate more and more the companies that are not the big two. Like when you when you hear about the big two, it's Marvel and DC. But there are you know you have Image and Dark Horse and all these other ones that are these there are big but not as big as DC and Marvel and Boom Studios from the time it it started. To now, it has really jumped up and it has become one of my favorite comic book publishers because they tend to do they have they have um, some uh, very adult themed stuff uh, in an imprint mm-hmm. like a, a, a they have a special section that's just for that. But majority of their stuff is family friendly and sure. they even produce a lot of kid friendly comic books mm-hmm. and stuff and i really appreciate them as a company doing that and of course them doing the mighty Morphin power rangers comic books i love those comic books they are so good so uh um i this boom studios has slowly well not slowly quickly quickly become one of my favorite comic book companies that are producing comics right now
0: yeah you can tell uh-huh. you can t- you can tell from the from the comic we got to we read for this we're reviewing this week that um this one is a very kid family friendly uh property that they work on and, and uh, mm-hmm. for what, what little bit I was get what I was able to read I, I really enjoyed it
1: yeah yeah. so we're talking about Mech Cadet U which uh was uh written by Greg Pack and the art was done... When I got the credits here. Uh, art was done by Takeshi Miyazawa, and it was colored by Triona Farrell, lettered by Simon Boland. So... And, and the whole uh, idea and story was created by Greg Pack and Takeshi Miyazawa. Um, this comic... Uh, the plot breakdown for this comic is... Once a year, giant robots from outer space come to Earth and bond with young cadets from the elite Sky Corpse Academy to defend the world from the terrifying aliens known as the Sharg. It's a great honor to be chosen, but this year, well, the wrong kid was picked. <laughs> so getting into it, what, is, what are your initial thoughts of this comic book?
0: I thought it was, I thought it was well done. I actually, uh, I think the artwork is, is really great. Uh, I like sort of the rough, like it's not super clean drawn. It's like, it's not drawn in like a super clean way. Like for Mm -hmm. example, Matt Frank has a very distinct, uh, bold, clean line art style. This Mm -hmm. is really just kind of loose and sketchy. And I, and I like that about it. Uh, Yeah. It gives it a good energy, I think. I, at least I feel like it has, it gives it a good energy, uh, overall, um, although the story, it feel, I feel like this particular storyline has been done over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it still, it still kept me interested and it's still relate to the characters, um, for better or for worse. You can still relate to the characters. i I'll, 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 I'll say that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, that's that's kind of my initial thoughts on it, too. Now, I did read this comic when it was uh, initially coming out because it came out in 2017, I wanted to say, was when it started. Um, mm-hmm. And I was reading it when it initially came out, and it was a lot of fun. But, uh, but yeah, it, you can definitely tell it's inspired by things like Voltron and Power Mm -hmm. Rangers and and other mech things like Mazinger and Gundam and other things like that. And you're right, the story is not super inspired. it's, It's your basic story of a kid who is not the person that Anyone expected to be the hero turns out to be the hero. He has to face ridicule and uh, prejudice and break through all of that. So it's, so it's not anything new, but at the same time, just because it's cliche or been done before doesn't mean it's a bad story.
0: No, that's, I mean, this, like I said, this story, like we said, this story has been done a lot uh, in the past, but it's really in, it's really up to the character development, mm-hmm. whether or not you care about this, uh, comic or any kind of movie that follows this, a very similar storyline as this. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by it. Uh, I enjoyed what I got to read so far. Uh, I'll probably continue to read more, uh, just because I want to, I'm, I'm a completionist, so I want to finish the story. Mm-hmm. Um, So I'll probably just go ahead and finish it. uh, And it's not going to be, I don't feel like it's going to be something that I'm going to be bored with.
1: Yeah, it's definitely, I feel that way too. It's not boring. It's, it's not boring. Um, It's only 12 issues long, which is, you know, typical for a comic book run nowadays Um, Mm -hmm. stories, uh, especially uh, ones that are not from like the big two uh they usually run about 12 issues you know if you get a full um a full run but uh so it's not very long and because of that it does suffer from being kind of rushed Mm -hmm. there are moments in it where it felt like we're jumping from one thing to the next to the next to the next now i know that originally This comic book was not supposed to have 12 issues. It was supposed to be, I think, six, and then they extended it. So I think part of the rushed feel for the first few issues is because they did not expect to continue the story on further. And so they were just trying to get through it as quick as possible. Um so that's part of the nature of the way comic books are written nowadays because of the way that uh, uh, story arcs and story runs are done. But there are times when it just it did feel kind of rushed. Um, did you feel that way?
0: I did. Um, I, I felt like they didn't spend. A, I wish that they would have spent a little bit more time, especially in the first couple of uh, first couple of issues, doing a, a little bit more character development because in mm-hmm. the first issue you see, you get sort of a you, i mean you know that um uh, stanford uh you know he comes mm-hmm. from an immigrant family uh he's you know his mom and him work as custodians at this uh at this academy and it's sort of a an underdog story and mm-hmm. you, it, the the comic lets you know that sort of almo- almost immediately it lets you know that this is going to be one of those underdog type stories because you have sort of that you have this kid who, like I said, comes from like a, a sort of a low income. Well, I don't know if it's low income. They didn't really uh, make reference to that, but it comes from this, an, an immigrant family who is, who's probably had some trouble assimilating um, mm-hmm. and they're working sort of this low paying job. Uh, some of this manual, this manual labor job that a lot of folks would not take uh probably most likely just to make ends meet and they're surrounded by these elitist um cadets who uh who many of them have a very high sense of entitlement for themselves and and that brings us to when we meet our antagonist comic park um who is very much the entitled uh brat let's just say that Yeah, she is very much the entitled brat And, um, yeah. And so the comic, the comic does not waste any time at all setting up that storyline and letting you know that this is going to be sort of one of those, those rags to riches underdog stories. Um, but it does it well. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it doesn't do it well, at least. And it, it, I think it's within the first couple of pages, we get a glimpse at the mechs themselves and, uh, uh, Stanford has already, uh, established a relationship with one, um, Mm -hmm. Uh, whose name is buddy, which is kind of funny because the deer that would uh, come by our house, we named it buddy, but anyway, (laughs) that's unrelated to the kaiju, but I just thought I'd throw that in there. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed the first issue for sure, but I, like I said, I wish that they would have just set up a little bit more background and a little bit more, um, yeah. Right. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to find the word. I'm trying to find the right word I'm looking for, but you get what I'm trying to say, Travis. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. If they, if they had spent a little bit more time on the, uh, establishing, character yeah. And the character development, um, that that would have been great to begin with. But again, you know, I also understand why it's like that because that's just the nature of comic books mm-hmm. nowadays is you just, you just don't have the time to do that. Right when you have six issues that you're trying to, you know, write and finish. Um, I, I just, you know, I wish comic book writers and and artists were able to spend as much time as they wanted on a project that they, uh, that they felt passionate about and that they wanted to do. Uh, but you know, that's just not the nature of the business.
0: (laughs) Um, I was was getting ready to ask you just just as a uh side topic here. Um, When, when, when an artist or a writer for a comic pitches an idea, Mm -hmm. they take it to the publisher and they say, and the publisher says, okay, we'll give you enough money for X amount of issues. And you need to keep the story within X amount of issues. Is that typically how it works within that world or is it, or does it
1: vary? Um, most artists and writers work as, um, as independent contractors, Mm -hmm. um, or freelance, so basically, especially for an independent uh publisher like Boom Studios or um, Image or Dark Horse, you as a you as a writer or creator pay for the book to be done. You know, basically you have uh your artist lined up, your colorist lined up and everything, and you present this book to the publisher. And the publisher chooses whether they want to publish it or not. And you come to them with, and and you don't have to have the full thing already completely done, but you need to have at least um, the first issue done, usually, and especially with like an independent book, and so, or at least a a decent enough idea that's fully fleshed out to where you can take it to the publisher, you show it to them, say, this is what, what I have, this is what I'm going to do, And the publisher will, you know, work with you and say, okay, well, you're planning on doing 12 issues. We only need six issues. Can we cut it down? Or they'll say, you know, they'll say you were planning on doing six issues. Uh, Can we extend that out some more and stuff? And so they'll say that. But you as the creator are taking the responsibility of paying for it. They're not paying you the money to produce the thing, you produce the okay. thing, then they pay you for what you've done.
0: Okay. I didn't know if it was, if it worked similar to what a more traditional publishing house or how that kind of works when you're, when you're writing a book or, uh, or if yeah. it works that way at all, I, it's been a while since I've talked with anybody in the publishing industry to, to know exactly how that works. So, but I wanted to ask, cause you seemed like you knew sort of Uh, some of the basics of the ins and outs of how a comic goes from concept to publish.
1: Yeah. Now I know, I know a lot about like uh, independent uh, publishers and stuff because I have published a comic book of my own. Um, Okay. And so, and done it through independent publisher. So I, I know about that now when it comes to the uh, big companies like Marvel and DC, Mm -hmm. they have contracted artists and writers that uh will be on retainer basically but i know they're still paid for the work that they do so they're not paid until after the work is done they're not you know they're not given in advance like like some writers are now and i know in in uh when publishing a book the only time that you get advances like that with publishing books mm-hmm. is if you have a strong relationship with your publisher and your agent sure. because okay. you know if you're if you're someone like JK Rowling or um uh James Patterson or something then you could get a an advance on say hey I have this idea for this book here's $1000 or $20,000 whatever you know and and then and you promise to have a a thing done that does not happen that that is like a one in a million um okay. you know option or a one in a million you know chances of that happening for writers. Most writers who write whether it's prose writing or comic book writing, they write the thing they present it to the publisher, and the publisher will pay them once it's done okay. And you're taking on the responsibility of making of getting it done and presenting it to the publisher. So you know you know like uh, Takeshi, uh, he and Greg Pack worked together so it was up to them to make sure the artwork was done for this book. Uh, and And very few comic book companies have in-house artists that they will pay to where you can bring an idea to them, and then they say, "Well, here's an artist that will we'll pair you with." You know, usually you you are responsible for the artwork. Um, that changes with you know Marvel DC because they do have in-house artists,
0: right? But someone
1: like Boom, that's not how
0: it works. (laughs) So, bringing it back to today's topic, what was the one thing that sort of stood out to you the most about uh, Mech Cadet Mech Cadet U? Um, hmm,
1: I really enjoyed the tone that the book has Mm -hmm. the we talked about how it's very family friendly it's very adventurous Mm -hmm. and very positive it stays on Mm -hmm. a positive side uh even with you know uh the main character overcoming obstacles he he never lets them tear him down and and break him you know he keeps that optimistic view of things and I like that. I, I think that optimism is something because I am an unapologetic optimist. <laughs> right. um, I love seeing that because it, it, you're you know, not being big in the comic books, you may not be aware, but comic books can be very dark and depressing.
0: <laughs> I imagine that they can. I'd say that some of the some of some of the Batman the some of the Batman comics are probably very very dark.
1: Oh yeah, I, and and Batman is very mild compared to what you know some things that exist out there. So, and, and, and I mean movies can be that way too. There's so much media, TV, books, comic books, movies that are very bleak nowadays. Mm-hmm. And I am glad to see whenever I find something that's that's very optimistic and has a very hopeful tone to sure. it.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I kind of realized when I got a little bit deeper into some of these issues that it does keep a very sort of upbeat tone and it moves it, it moves at a really uh, fast pace too. Sometimes too fast, like one panel, you'll see just a a simple conversation between two cadets and then boom, uh, um, the alien shows up. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it kind of, it, takes you off; it it catches you off guard sometimes um with its storyline but like you said there's a lot of action in it and i feel like it's written in a way i feel like it's written the way sort of a kid-friendly pre, um, pre-teen action movie would be written
1: mm-hmm. yeah Now, uh, going into the the giant monsters and the giant mechs, because, well, let's talk about the mechs first, because we are in mech month. Uh, For anyone who's not aware, uh, May has been mech month for this podcast, so we've been covering uh, topics that involve mechs. Um, What -hmm. do you think of the design of the mechs in in this comic book?
0: You know, I feel like they're pretty... Pretty... um generic that's how i feel mm-hmm. except for um oh shoot what is the name of the the spe- the specialty mech that was built um, by humans pilot hero um, one i think yes Hero. Yeah. okay yeah the one that was the one that's piloted by park mm-hmm. um <clears throat> excuse me uh except with everyone except for that particular one looks pretty 1960s 1970s robot Look, it's, it's sort of got that old school kind of really smooth uh, texture to them, which which is kind of weird because these rob these robots come from space and mm-hmm. the one and they look mild compared to the one that's actually built by humans. The one that's actually built by humans looks like it would have come from space as opposed to something a little bit more humanoid like like Buddy and some of the others.
1: yeah. Um, they, for listeners who may not be aware of this comic book, uh, the look is very similar to what I would think of when I think of like the eighties, uh, transformers like G one transformers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. They
1: have a very similar look to them. Uh, not as boxy, they're more smooth, but they're, they still have that very, uh, very G one transformers look.
0: Yeah. Bringing it back a little bit to Kaiju. it it kind of reminds you, um, uh, buddy sort of reminds you of jet Jaguar because you've mm-hmm. got that. You've got those smooth lines those that very humanoid, uh, look to them, you know, with the eyes and the, uh, similar, mm-hmm. the, what looks to be a mouth, but I don't think it's a mouth. Um, but yeah, it's uh very, very humanoid. And I, I like the point. I like your point, Travis, that it, it looks like very 1980s transformers because, uh, the 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 designs for those transformers were uh very sleek compared mm-hmm. to some of the other some of the later transformers and the Michael Bay transformers that we got today.
1: Right. And if you and if you look at the the like you were saying Hero One, the human built mm-hmm. uh mech actually looks more like the modern transformers uh like michael bay transformers because it's very sharp angles very twisted metal look to it very Um, aggressive yeah so uh i i think that's really neat you can definitely see the inspirations that uh takeshi and greg pack had in making these characters um what did you think of the shark we only we didn't really get to see much of them in that first four issues but what do you think yeah they didn't
0: i think they showed up what at the beginning of issue number four or the end of issue number three yeah Um,
1: yeah i I I, yeah go ahead
0: (laughs) i like um sort of arachnid uh crustacean like kaiju i think that i think they make for really interesting monsters Mm -hmm. um and they reminded me a lot of the Kaiju we found in, um, uh, Pacific Rim.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, uh
0: I, I cannot, is it Orochi? Is that the one, the, the big one? Not the oh, not Orochi. Um,
1: I can't remember.
0: I can't remember what its name. So Kaiju community, Kaiju community out there, please help me. Uh, but anyway, it reminded me a lot of those types of Kai, those types of Kaiju because, Those, the kaiju in um, Pacific Rim were sort of crustacean, like a lot of them were very crustacean-like. Now, granted, a lot of, uh, they were also very Mm -hmm. reptilian-like, but there were several that were, that reminded you what, what you would find maybe at the, at the, at the bottom of the ocean. And that's sort of what these guys remind me of. And then of course they've got wings, they can fly and they've got wings. So they're, you know, arachnid scorpion it's just a weird amalgamation of scorpion crab um and just yeah ugly ugly is how i know how to describe it oh yeah yeah
1: Yeah, they're really really ugly and they're really i mean there's no doubt these guys are bad
0: news they mean business they do Uh mean business
1: yeah like they, they there's no doubt about that Uh, I do. I do really like the design. I I think you're right, right on the money when it's like they're they're ugly, they're disgusting looking. And but at the same time, they're really cool looking because of that, you know, kind of uh, insectoid um, segmented body uh, style that they are and just they're just like covered in spikes and and rough bits. And it's just yeah, they're they're really great monster designs. Um, is there any other, uh, things that you want to talk about as far as like likes and dislikes for mech cadet you, I,
0: I think I do like, I want to go back to the point of where it just sort of, it's, it is a, it is a storyline and a trope that sort of has been done before, mm-hmm. but I like, uh, mech cadet U because it's, it keeps, it keeps it interesting and it's, it's pacing, although it's pacing does seem a little bit too quick at times, but that makes a lot of sense. Now that you, since you kind of gave, give me the hit, gave, gave I'm yeah, my words <laughs> mixed up here. Um, uh, I promise people I have not been drinking anyway. <laughs> um, that, you know, a lot of times comic book Creators don't have a lot of time. So they just kind of get they have to get down to business. And that, you know, that makes me uh realize why this com this partic these particular four issues were paced the way they were. Uh yeah. they just didn't have the luxury of time. Um like I said, the art style was I like the sound sort of that sort of that loose art style. It reminds me of uh um oh shoot, what's the aftershock comic? The aftershock Godzilla comic that came Oh, prior yeah, to King oh. of the monsters had that same sort of that loose art style. I can't even remember who who did that one did legend- Does legendary have their own publishing house as far as comics go? Mm-hmm.
1: yeah they? Um, okay. yeah, they do uh let me see I've I'd
0: be interested to... to find out if the if the same person who did Met Cadet did Aftershock because the art style seems a little bit similar to me
1: um. No, it's not. It's not Takeshi. I know. I know Takeshi didn't do um, the the aftershock comic. Um, but I'm trying to see who did. Let's see, Godzilla, aftershock.
0: While you look there, I'm going to say you know, as as a non comic book fan, it's not, it's, and I say that I I respect comics. I like to look at comics, but it's not something that I was that I kind of grew up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not something that I took up. It took a really huge interest in interest in growing up. Uh, but as I've gotten older, I can, I've come to appreciate some of those, uh, some things like comic books and especially some of the art styles and, you know, giving bringing, especially like Matt Frank. I've I'm looking forward to, to digging up digging into that uh, Gamera comic that he's publishing for us in July. Um, so, yeah, I mean, coming, coming from someone who doesn't really, care that much for comics who doesn't have a history of really reading a lot of comics i actually enjoyed this and i i just i'm gonna finish it i'm just gonna go ahead and finish all 12 and and see how i like it after that
1: yeah yeah um the artist for um godzilla aftershock was drew johnson okay um and drew johnson the, the art
0: style is, is similar
1: yeah i can see yeah i can see that. Um it is it it does have that very Takeshi's very I I Takeshi's done a lot of art um on books that I've read and he has a very fun art style like his his art style is it's not realistic um it's very stylized and I like that I like the more stylized look that he has um you can definitely tell that he uh is inspired by manga and anime uh in his art style, um which is yeah, which is fine. It's great. It's a it's it's a unique style, but it's not overly anime. (laughs) Um to the point that
0: there's there's anime and then there's very anime. Yeah, yeah. There's
1: yeah. So um yeah I think I think that anyone who is a fan of the of like power Rangers or Voltron, uh, especially if you're a fan of the new Voltron, the newer Voltron that was on Netflix, mm-hmm. you'd love this comic. You know, yeah. they, they those types those type of people would love this comic. It's good for kids. I think that uh, if you are a parent who is trying to find something a comic book for your kids to read that fits into the the giant monster, uh, giant robot genre but stays kid friendly uh this works perfectly for them and
0: does that tend to be does that tend to be travis a little bit difficult though for trying to find a a good comic for to start kids out on it can be it can be there
1: are ones out there but i do know that that question comes up a lot in uh the comic book community is um people asking what comic books should I give my kid and what can they read? Because there is no rating system for comic books the way that like there are for movies or TV shows. So you can't look at a, a comic book and say, well, this is Ray R. So this is obviously not going to be appropriate for my kid uh, who I don't want to show a lot of blood and guts and gore uh, or sex or whatever to, um, comic books don't have that kind of rating system, so sometimes it can be hard to to distinguish what's appropriate, you know, if you're the type of person who doesn't want your kid reading certain things. Um, Also, you know, like we said, even Batman, you know, gets very adult, a very dark tone and stuff, and so it's like, you know, you can't even just give them a superhero comic book sometimes. So, uh, but Boom Studios is definitely a publisher that i say if you're a parent who's looking for comic books to give to your kid to get them interested in reading comic books get them interested in reading uh boom studios is great boom also has an imprint uh called kaboom uh which is strictly kid-friendly stuff that is that is Mm -hmm. all of their like younger audience stuff is right. on there um but but even the regular boom studios they have a lot of kid-friendly stuff and i think i think that this this is a good example of if your kid enjoyed voltron this is another thing that that you could get them that could get them into comic books
0: yeah i mean i don't know any child around the age of say what's a what's a good reading age what seven or seven or nine and you, yeah when they, can, when they can really start reading and comprehending yeah i can't i don't know any child that would be in this age bracket that would not really like a comic book about giant robots and monsters
1: yeah and and it's it's a lot of fun the characters are a lot of fun uh, I think that the, the kids who read this will relate to it, but it's also good for adults too. Like we we are two 30 something year old men and we enjoyed it. So it's not just for kids, but it's definitely something that uh, parents can read with their kids and enjoy. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I think that's it. I didn't want to go into too much because uh, I didn't want to spoil Uh, too much of the book because this is a topic that not a lot of people are familiar with, I'm sure. And so uh, I didn't want, I want them to go and read it. So I don't want to spoil anything from
0: it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And, uh, but we don't cover a whole lot of comics um, on the show. And I know that's something that you're super passionate about. So yeah, uh, we wanted to go ahead and do this episode uh it may end up being one of our shorter episodes but at least we wanted to put it out there just for mech month and or mecca may rather and um uh yeah Mm -hmm. have something have something for everybody and kind of give you a, a little taste of a comic book that we both enjoy especially me not really being a comic book nerd at least not as nerdy as travis (laughs) yeah
1: uh and i think that's uh something that i would like to come back to and do more of is uh comic books um because there are some great giant monster comic books out there and i would love to talk about some of them right so uh this was just kind of our first uh dipping our toes into the the comic book world uh giant monster comic books (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's – oh, before we move on from that, uh, do you want to give a Godzuki score for uh, this comic book for the, just this first volume of You? U? Um, of course, our Godzuki scores, we uh, – Godzuki being Godzilla's bumbling nephew from the 1970s cartoon show. Uh, we like to pay homage to the great Godzuki by using him as our yardstick in measuring how great or bad uh, some of these movies and comic books and other things that we review are.
0: Right. Uh, Yeah. So in my notes, I have it at a four out of five Um, and I'm going to stick with that because you know, for what it, for what it set out to do in these first four issues, Uh, I think it was successful. And although we do, although you and I both have our issue, have our um, concerns about it or just problems with it, you know, a lot of it just comes up to pacing and just sort of character development. It is really a lot of fun. And for the factor and for the art uh, that looks really, really good. Uh, And although the story, the story itself surrounding these cadets, has been done before. I think that this particular comic series ha- is successful in, in telling a, an interesting story that is good for everybody of any age. Yeah.
1: I think, you know, the, I, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to give it a four out of five Godzookies. Um The issues that me and you both have with it really come down to not they're not necessarily issues with the comic itself. It's more of issues that are plaguing the entire comic book industry. The way, you know, the way uh, comic books are written, the way that they're done, uh, having short runs, not being able to do a full, you know, story arc like you want to do. uh, Mm -hmm. And, and also the way that uh, trade paperbacks are divided up. The fact that this was divided up into four issues it by itself, these four issues are fun, but they're also kind of flat. It gives mm-hmm. you a taste of what you what you uh, you know what you're in for. It makes you more interested in reading, you know, the rest of it. But it also is kind of like there. I wish there was more too. A, a, a typical trade paperback is like twelve to sixteen dollars. If you're paying twelve to sixteen dollars for this trade paperback, and this is all you're getting, mm-hmm. I I kind of like I wish there was more to what it this first volume. Now that being said, that is a that's a problem with the comic book industry, not the comic not this itself.
0: particular yeah not this particular comic itself itself itself. There we go. There's yeah. the word. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's been a long week. <laughs> it has been a very, I'm sorry guys. It has been a very long week. Um, But yeah, it's, it's not issues with the comic itself. uh We have, and like you pointed out, and I couldn't put my finger on what really my issues were because again, I'm coming into this, you know, brand mm-hmm. new. And yeah. so I enjoyed what I got to read and what I, and what I saw on the page. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just mainly issues on how, with how modern comics are produced today anyway, but I'll ask you, Travis, if someone wants to get their hands on a copy of this or read it online, where would be the best and safest and mm, this side of legal way to do it?
1: Um, the best place to do it because I fully endorse paying for it if you can and you mm. and please do because especially for independent comic book uh publishers their money comes from those sales and they're they need that and and if you go and read this you know illegally download it illegally you're taking money away from them and, and yeah. they they should be paid for their work they should be supported by us um so I would say The for me, the best place to find it is on Comixology. Um, and that's you know, that's the app that you can download and read, you can pay for things and and read them on your device. The pro again, we're going to problems with the comic book industry, digital sales don't count usually.
0: Hmm. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, they um comic book companies are not usually looking at digital sales and that's a there's a reason why and it has to do with the distribution company and the monopoly that they have on things and there's there's a it's a whole big story there but I'm not going to get into um so as much as i as much as i love comicsology and reading di- comics digitally i also am aware that reading comics digitally doesn't usually give the support or count towards supporting the uh, artist and the writer as much as, you know, buying a physical copy does
0: now. And that's, I feel like like that's why it's important. Like when you have those, those comics from artists and writers you like, it's important to search them out and buy physical copies. I like physical media anyway. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't have, I have some digital media uh, downloaded and I do use uh, Spotify. I don't have, I don't use, I don't do CDs anymore. Um, but as far as like books go, I don't necessarily, I re I get physical books. I don't mm-hmm. do the, I don't do the audio books, although the audio books are more convenient. Uh, I do like physical books and I feel like it's important, uh, to support folks that way. Uh, because like you said, you don't always know if, if, uh, the artist and the writer is going to be supported if you, if you download it digitally. Right.
1: Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, you can find it physical copies on Amazon. Uh, You can find, uh, there are plenty of comic book shops that have online resources uh, that you Mm. can go on and find a, and order, a physical copy uh, from there. Uh, So, you know, there are resources out there. Um, As far as the digital thing is concerned though, with comic books, I think it was oh I'm trying to remember who it was that said I, I forget it was some one one comic book creator uh who put out and I, I think I'm trying to remember which one it was but she said uh if you feel guilty for buying digital copies because it's not being counted towards supporting the artist don't still buy the digital copies because it's the industry that's failing you, not you failing the industry because right. the industry is built in a way to where it's not counting these digital sales when it should be counting the digital sales. Um, and that's and a good it's, way to look at it. Yeah. And so that stuck with me because I was one of those ones who always felt guilty. If I bought a comic digitally, because I was like, well, it's not really being counted towards supporting the artist or the or the writer. But uh, I like that she, you know, how she brought it out. It's like, well, that's that's a problem with the industry, and the industry is the ones failing you. You're not. The, it's not the other way around. It's not your responsibility to make sure that the the your sales are counted. It's up to the industry to make sure that they're counting your sale. mm Hmm. So, um, but yeah, but anyway, that's a, like I said, that's a whole topic on itself. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I think that's going to be it for Mech Cadet U, at least for this first volume, we might come back and and review after we read the, the other volumes, uh, cause there's only two more volumes of it. Uh, 12... yeah, so we might come back to it. So look forward to that guys. Um, so we can go ahead and jump into, our next segment now this segment's going to determine whether this is a long episode or a short episode <laughs> because dear listeners we are debuting a brand new segment we don't have a lot of um mailbag uh, uh, you know letters and stuff coming in so we decided to switch it out for a new segment called Kaiju Class. Kaiju Clash! Fight! <laughs> uh, and I'll put the theme song in there too.
0: <laughs> right. We'll probably just put the theme song right here after you say Kaiju Clash. Or even in the middle of it. <laughs> just
1: cut All myself right. off. <laughs> uh, so. Michael, do you want to explain to the listeners what Kaiju Clash is?
0: Sure. Uh, so Kaiju Clash is actually the brainchild of our friend Travis here. Uh, and so Travis and I have chosen two Kaiju. Um, they can be from any mythos, any universe. Uh, for example, today's, today's uh, matchup is going to come. One is going to come from Toho and one is going to come from Dae from the Gamera uh, franchise. So basically what we want to do is we want to sort of have a a lighthearted debate uh, with one another on who we feel would win between these two kaiju. Now, the caveat is we're going to need your help at the end of this because we're going to make our case But you guys need to determine who's the actual winner between these two. Because Travis and I, we can debate and we can go back and forth all day long, but we need to have some kind of winner. So what's going to happen after, uh, when we post this episode, we're also going to encourage people to listen to what we have to say and then go and tell us, uh, via Twitter, on our social media, or in the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group, who you think would win between these two Kaiju. And Travis, do you want to give our contestants today?
1: Yes. So in this corner, we have uh, f- straight from the Gamera series, the rainbow monster himself, Berugan. <laughs> and in the other corner... Hashtag justice for this guy, hashtag <laughs> justice for Baragon. So, yeah, we have uh Baragon versus Barugan,
0: right? And, <laughs> and it just th- seemed appropriate to open up with this one,
1: yeah, yeah. It seemed so, yeah, uh, it seemed so appropriate. So, uh, who's gonna go first, uh, Travis.
0: I know I, I got to be the gentleman here and I'm going to say since I know you're going to lose I'm going to let you go first.
1: <laughs> Losers go first. Okay. Um <laughs> hmm, hmm. well, I could start with a very low blow and say Baragon is in better movies. <laughs> oh well,
0: yeah, okay. All yeah, right. That's kind
1: of a, it, I know it's a low blow. But that's, that's, um, Baragon is a fantastic Kaiju, but as far as like a battle is concerned, one of the things I love about Baragon is he is up close and personal. If you see him in, uh, in Frankenstein versus Baragon or Frankenstein conquers the world and you see him in, uh, GMK, he is up close and personal. He likes to get in there and just really tear into his opponent.
0: Yeah, he got up close and personal with Godzilla's tail in GMK.
1: Yeah. Ooh, ooh. Hashtag justice for Baragon.
0: <laughs> but no, you're right. Uh Barragon does he does have some hand-to-hand combat skills, but my guy Barugon has an advantage in the fact that he has better long range attacks. For example, uh the the main thing that Berugon is uh known for is his rainbow death ray um that can basically wipe out <laughs> I an it. entire f- I, I love it too <laughs> basically wipe out an entire fleet of tanks all at once uh granted the only weakness it has is um uh, it can be reflected with a gigantic mirror, but how often is Bar- How often are you going to have a gigantic reflective mirror or or gigantic reflective surface rather on hand at all times? I I don't think that that Baragon is going to when he gets hit, hit with that rainbow power. I I just don't know if Baron can survive.
1: Hmm. hmm. Well, I. And, and we say, yes, uh, Baragon definitely likes to get up close and personal. But there's something that he does have. He does have a long-range attack. It's not as powerful as his up close and personal attacks. But he has a heat ray. Uh, Baragon can fire an orange heat ray from his mouth. And so uh, he does have he does have a long-range attack. He also has burrowing attacks where he can dig through the ground and and come in uh underneath another
0: monster and attack from underneath yes but okay so i'll i'll give you the i'll give you i'll give baragon rather the fact that he has a heat ray and the only film that we ever see him actually use his heat ray is in frankenstein conquers the world aka frankenstein versus baragon um but even in that film, Travis, it, it that heat ray is considerably less powerful than, say, uh, the rain, the 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 rainbow death ray, or even let's just okay. So you brought up the Baragon can burrow. So what happens if, say, Barugon freezes the ground with his uh, with that liquid nitrogen attack that he has, and he freezes it so much that it makes Baragon. It makes it so difficult for Baragon to even burrow in the ground. Period. What happens then? Hmm.
1: Hmm. Hmm. That's a good point. Hmm. I don't know. I think. I think. Well, you're. You're. This is also. I didn't even think about this, but this is a perfect matchup because uh, Barugon tends to be more ice and freezing uh, mm-hmm. powers, where whereas Baragon is very much a fire based very um heat Like he has the heat ray um he in the video games he actually summons lava so you're this is this is ultimately a fight between fire and ice it's true it's true and so this is actually a really good one um something else that i think is really interesting that i did not know until i looked up on wikizilla about Baragon is that his big giant puppy dog ears actually serve a purpose they fold they do. down I, I didn't know this yeah they fold down over his eyes and so that he can burrow through the ground without having uh without things getting in his eyes and he can charge his uh at his enemies and cover protect his eyes so he actually has some extra protection there that you don't see in
0: Barugon. i think okay so uh, so yeah baragon we've established that baragon can burrow he has a heat ray um but really how intelligent is baragon honestly like he doesn't show i don't feel like baragon shows any intelligence whatsoever except for just natural animal animal instinct, and I will give you that uh, Baragon has grit and he has heart, but I feel like if he's hit by, say, if he's, if he's frozen by that liquid nitrogen attack, or if he's hit once or twice, I'll give him twice with that rainbow heat ray, I just don't think that, I don't think Baragon's even going to want to pick and even continue to pick a fight with Barugon
1: one thing about about baragon's attack uh even though it's not may not be as powerful is it's more focused and baragon is definitely able to aim his uh, beam attack better than what Barugan, uh can do with his rainbow death ray which shoots out of his back he doesn't really have much control over uh it also his most
0: critical weakness fresh water i was wondering when you were going to throw that out <laughs> i was wondering when you were going to get to the fresh water yes it is true that Barugon cannot stand fresh water so in theory uh, if barragon was able to drag him into a lake um, then it would then the battle would be over but but it seems though that Berugon can survive in salt water, so depending upon what where this battle takes place, that could be a that could be a weakness, or it could be just another another thing. Uh, it apparently apparently the salt content is what is what makes all the difference with Berugon.
1: Hmm. I don't know. I don't know about a monster that could be defeated by a rain shower. <laughs> well <laughs> it's like huh it's like i don't think baragon can be defeated by a light rain
0: <laughs> you you, hmm. i will have i have to concede that point i i, I have no <laughs> comeback for that i have zero comeback for that uh
1: ultimately we can go back and forth and back and forth with this all we want but we can't come to a decision on who's gonna win we have to leave it up to the listeners so if you are listening to this and you have a strong opinion on which one is better barugan the the rainbow death monster or hashtag justice for Barragon, uh go on to our social medias go on to twitter at kaiju weekly i will put a poll up on there and you can vote on who you think wins the battle between Barugan and Baragon.
0: And I will post a poll uh, in the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group. And so what we'll do, Travis, uh, the next time we meet, we will go over the results in the news section. How about that?
1: Yep, we will do that. We'll do that at the top of the episode. So that's, uh, that's a way for you guys to be involved in our episodes because we're going to have a lot of fun with us and, and this was kind of a a last minute uh thrown together type thing we're going to uh have more planned out battles and more ideas on how we're going to do this later uh we just were experimenting with this
0: Yeah, we, we'll, we'll have it more polished next time
1: yeah yeah definitely uh so Uh, I think that's going to be it for this episode. We just need to um, ask the trivia question for next week's uh, episode, to hint to next week's episode. Now, we are continuing our theme. Uh, Next week is the last week for Mech Month. So, of course, we had to cover a big one. One that a lot of people are going to think of when they think of mechs in the kaiju genre. So I had trouble finding a trivia question that didn't automatically give away the answer. So I'm go I had to think up a good trivia question that was a little bit more difficult. Because the answer is going to be very obvious. But the trivia question hinting to next week's episode, which Godzilla film caused Universal Studios to file a lawsuit Claiming it was too similar to their TV shows, The Six Million Dollar Man and The Bionic Woman.
0: That's a good one. When I first read that question, Travis, I I hadn't looked at the notes in a while, so I'd forgotten what film we were covering next time. Uh so I didn't know the answer. Uh <laughs> but now it all makes now it all makes sense.
1: Yes, I did a good job then. Uh because yeah, because I mean, how what trivia question? If you, if you think of a trivia question on the spot for next week's episode, it, it, most of them are just so obvious and so easy. So I had to try mm-hmm. to come up with something that was a little bit more difficult. So that's, a, that's what I came up with.
0: Um, sure. And we'll post that question to all of our social medias, including Twitter, Instagram, and the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group. And we just want to encourage you guys uh, to participate and answer. And if you answer correctly, incorrectly, funny. I don't care what, we don't really care what kind of answer you give. Uh, Just as long as you give us an answer, we will give you a shout out on next week's episode.
1: Yep, we sure will. All right. So I just want to give a big thank you to everyone for listening to this episode. We know it was kind of a short one, but uh, it's been a long week for both of us. And uh, we just, we need to just, we need to go rest. (laughs) I need a nap yeah um so if you want to follow the podcast on social media like we said we are at kaiju weekly on twitter and at kaiju weekly pod on instagram you can subscribe to the kaiju weekly youtube channel for all the latest episodes and clips from older episodes um we're still trying to keep up with that uh we it may not be you know every single week the same time that the new episodes get posted on uh the podcast apps that they'll get posted on youtube but we will get them on there eventually uh so you'll be able to hear them um you can send questions comments or answers to trivia questions to our email kaijuweekly at gmail.com you can also find us at the kaiju groupie facebook group also follow michael at kaiju groupie 54 on twitter and the kaiju groupie on uh instagram And we also want to say a big thank you to Brian Shijir and Thorax for supporting us on Patreon. You can also support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash kaiju weekly pod. And until next time, we're going to say help control the giant shark population. Have your insectoid aliens spayed or neutered.
0: Bye guys. See you next week. Bye.